Welcome to Religiously Literate. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jay. Join us as we explore the diversity of religious belief around the world. Who was Jesus? What is the Trinity? Are Christians cannibals? Stay tuned as we answer these questions and learn a little bit along the way. So today we're going to be talking about, well, you probably read the title, so you already know, but we're going to be talking about Christianity, which I think for a lot of folks may be something they feel very familiar with. Um, It is an incredibly popular religion in the United States, at least for um, Jay and I and all of our listeners that are in the States. Um, There are nearly 2.4 billion uh, Christians worldwide. Um, Part of that is because, well, part of it is how just Christianity is structured and the fact that it's a very evangelical tradition, but also the fact that there is an incredible amount of diversity within Christianity, um, which made writing today's episode really difficult. Um, We went back and forth a lot on, should we talk about this or is this too much? Are we in the weeds? This is too Catholic. Should we cut that? So... Today, if you're Christian, you're probably going to be like, wow, this is the lamest episode they've ever recorded because it's the most basic stuff ever. Um, But we did that on purpose because we wanted to kind of give you, you know, kind of like we did with the Islam episode in season one, um, to give you kind of this overarching idea of what is common amongst the majority of traditions. Um, And so... We're going to we plan to have future episodes that are about Catholicism, that are about orthodoxy, um, that are about Protestant traditions to kind of give you some more of that nuance. Um, But today we're going to kind of try to stay with sort of the general basics that if you know this, you can generally understand what's going on with most Christian traditions. Yeah, um, I will say that one of the this is a little off topic, but one of the reasons Christianity, I think, is one of the reasons why I want to start this podcast, because I knew many of my friends um, who are not Christian or did not grow up Christian because they're so exposed to Christianity. And I believe I've talked about this in earlier episodes, mm-hmm. thought that they understood Christianity. And when I actually talked about to them, the things that they know or think that they know are so off base. So this episode is pretty important to me because I think it's an opportunity to really talk to people about aspects of Christianity that seem obvious to Christians, um, but other people just don't know or make assumptions about. And I also would emphasize that when I'm talking, we're going to move into the history soon. That is kind of how the history is structured, right? So I'll talk very briefly about Jesus. I mean, I'll talk about his life and stuff, but really trying to give some insight in context to what's what was happening in his life and, and what the meanings of all those things, but also talking about things that people just may seem obvious to Christians that may not be as obvious to non-Christians. So keep that in mind, particularly for our Christian listeners who might be like, well, why aren't you talking about X, Y, and Z? Because we're trying to let people who aren't Christian really get some insight into what is happening here. This is also the last of the Abrahamic faiths that we have to talk about. Yes, it is. So for anyone who is like, you know, give me some diversity. Well, you'll be getting some diversity after this. For sure. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now that we've checked those three boxes, get ready. Yeah. So should we jump into some history and things? Let's do it. All right. Um, so first off, I want to say, um, I guess I'll, I'll start off with a fun fact. 
And so one of the earliest symbols used to represent Christians, um, or at least their faith, was a fish. And you often see this still today with Christians having fish like on their cars and stuff. And so a lot of people are like, where does this come from? You know, and it's because the five Greek letters spelling out the word in uh, fish in Greek are I C H T H U S. So I ch t U S. I don't know. I don't speak Greek. Um, <laughs> and so really? these became an acronym <laughs> of the Christian creedal slogan Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. And so. This acronym spells out fish, and that's how fish became the symbol for Christianity. Huh. Um, I do want to, I think more broadly speaking, or we don't, let's just get into it. So first of all, Jesus is a really important aspect of Christianity. Who is Jesus? What was Jesus? Let's talk about it. One thing I want to say, though, maybe another cool fact, um, is so Jesus is a a Latinized form of the Greek word, Isus, it's I-E-S-U-O-U-S. And this, so this Greek name that was Latinized to Jesus, this Greek name is a literal transliteration of the Hebrew Yeshua, which means God saves or the God of Israel slave saves in more context. Right off the back, we're working with a, a name that has been more or less transcribed from two different languages. And then um, people often refer to Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ. Some non-Christians may think that uh, Christ is Jesus's last name. This is not true. Christ is in fact a title. It comes from the Greek word, uh, uh, the Greek verb. I'm sorry, to anoint, which is derived from the Hebrew term for Messiah. So, really, the like proper way of saying it would be Jesus, who is the Christ, or Jesus, who is the anointed. If that makes sense. One thing we should probably one thing we should probably say too is um, before we get too much further into this, who are Christians? Why are we even talking about Jesus? Um, I think we kind of yeah. we kind of like glossed over that because it's like I think I think this happens for a lot of folks. You know, you feel like you know what Christianity is, and like I was brought up Christian, you were too. So um, yeah, so Christians are folks who believe that Jesus was the Son of God. This is the same God we're talking about in Judaism and Islam as well. Um, and so that's why we're talking about Jesus. That's why we're going to start there. Yes. Very important. The information that we have about the life of Jesus comes from the four gospels. This is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are found in the new Testament. I believe we're going to be talking about scripture a little later. Yep. So, um, Ryan, or at some point we'll give you more detail on that. So these four gospels are what we know about him in his life. Um, you can say we do know that the earliest gospel likely came roughly about 70 years after Jesus's death. So um, not immediate, but still pretty early in comparison to someone like the Buddha, where it was hundreds of years. Muhammad, although his sayings were recorded by his uh, followers and through um, oral tellings, I think it was a couple hundred years after Muhammad's death. So in comparison to other um, historical religious leaders, it was actually pretty quick, um, just to be 70 years. Anyway, with that being said, the year and date of Jesus's birth is unknown. Now, Christians celebrate December 25th as Jesus's birthday. Um, This is a day that was chosen um, to celebrate his birth. Uh, Christians don't actually believe, or at least in Christian um, theology, 
there's not a belief that his birthday is actually uh, December 25th. And um, there's even some Christians who celebrate on January 7th, Christmas, which is um, a whole thing. Really, it's just it's based on um, initially there was the Julian calendar where the time had been um, January or there was a Julian calendar, which is December 25th. And then we switched to the Gregorian calendar. And so um, the switching in the calendars, January 7th is the old December 25th. Um, so that's why there's a difference there. Anyway, um, so he was born in Bethlehem to a virgin mother. Um, as it is told in the scriptures, um, God appeared to his mother, Mary, and told her that she was going to bear a child. And through immaculate conception is what it's kind of referred to, which basically means that God impregnated her with no sexual activity. She was pregnant with Jesus. Um, she was uh, married to a man named Joseph, and um, he decided to stay with her. Which initially he did question um, her and was like, mm, "Maybe we should just go ahead and like call off our marriage, you know." Um, but the angel Gabriel, I believe, came to Jesus or to Joseph and said, "No, she's not lying. She is carrying um, the Lord's child, so you should stay with her." So um, don't be a punk. Yes. So he stays with her and uh, they moved to, or they're, you know, traveling. A lot of things were happening, um, but they ended up, I believe it was the, uh, probably should have written this down. There was a call from the the killing of babies. And so in order for him to be safe, they went to Bethlehem. Yes, King Herod. Yes, King Herod had wanted um, male <laughs> children of Jews killed. And so um, they were refugees and they left and, and he ended up being born in Bethlehem. It's important that he was born in Bethlehem because this fulfills a specific prophecy that said that a future ruler of Israel would be born in Bethlehem. This is from Micah, Micah 5.2, uh, Micah being um, the Old Testament. And I'll talk about the importance of the uh, prophecy here in a second. And so Jesus is born um, in a manger. Wise men bring him gifts, as is told in the story. Now, we don't particularly have a lot of information about the early life of Jesus. Uh, that's just not included in the Gospels. So I want to, we'll put it in the show notes. There is this um, fantastic uh, infographic, which provides a timeline of Jesus's life. Um, and it's really nice. So essentially, you know, we have Jesus is born. The next instance that we have in his life is when he's 12 and he visits a temple. And then we don't have anything else about his life until he's 30. And and he goes on to, from the time he's 30 until he dies at 33, that's information that we have on his life. And it's not really the day-to-day of what he was doing. It's kind of in his ministry of teaching um, when he gives certain sermons and when he performs miracles. And collectively, there are maybe like 20 events <laughs> that are shared with us over the course of those three years. So not a lot of information, but the key things to kind of know or that um, at the age of 30, when he pops back up, he um, goes and becomes baptized by John the Baptist. This is, again, another fulfilling of prophecy. And so after he's baptized, he then goes into the desert for 40 days. And he it's, it says that he was tempted by the devil with all the worldly temptations. He continues to fast and pray during these 40 days. And when he comes out of the desert, this is when he starts his ministry of teaching. And that 40 days is important for Lent, which we'll talk about later. There we have kind of him, and he goes and he is uh, providing his, 
teachings and whatnot. I won't necessarily go into the specifics of those, but again, if you go into this timeline, which we will provide, it tells you not only, it gives you the basis of the things um, and where you can find it in the text if you're interested in reading those things. But he performs multiple miracles. One of the most famous is when he feeds 5,000 um, with five fish and two loaves of bread, I believe. Um, so, I so yeah. a lot of cool things that he is doing and important messages that he is sharing about love and kindness and how to treat each other. It is important to know that Jesus was born a Jew. And in his lifetime, while he was teaching, he was promoting a reforming of judaism so this is a reform movement within the context of judaism once he dies the initial christians are jewish and then it kind of expands from that so just keep that in mind that jesus was a jew jesus identified as a jew and you can you can see that really clearly not to like jump forward to text but in the book of matthew you can really see that quite clearly because matthew really or the the author of matthew um really clearly draws on Jewish tradition. There's a lot of argument that like Matthew is kind of a messianic um, Judaism sort of text, which we'll talk about when we get to my section. So the events of the the key parts, Jesus is um, living his life, doing his thing, uh, sharing with people. And then we get to um, the last supper. So Passover is happening. And he, um, I guess I'm jumping ahead. Maybe I should talk about like some of the other things that happened before. <laughs> but get to the good part. <laughs> um, okay, so there is, um, well, yeah, we'll get to that. Because we can talk about the other things in the context of when we're talking about the calendar. Yeah. So Jesus is having Passover. Oh, I should say that in the, in the forming of his ministry, I've jumped over so many things. <laughs> um, he uh gets what are called 12 disciples so as he is going through the countryside teaching and preaching he recruits um men to follow him and some of them um it's just like you should follow me they're two fishermen they're brothers and he's like hey you should follow me stop what you're doing follow me and and they do it and so there are they're known as the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles and they follow jesus and assist him in his ministry um, and, you know, are his are his BFFs for these three years that he is, is preaching. So um, they're all Jews and they are celebrating um, the Passover festival and they're having dinner. And Jesus kind of announces to them that he is going to be leaving them soon. Um, and they are all a little bit distraught, but he says, do not worry, I will be with you. Like, it's it's cool. Um, what Jesus is foretelling them is that he is going to soon die. Um, and it happens pretty quickly, uh, <laughs> not long after this. Um, and this is what the Easter kind of celebration is. But anyway, so Jesus um, is, as as is foretold, he ends up being betrayed by his, one of the uh 12 disciples judas um for i believe it's 12 pieces of silver 12 or 13 i think it's 13 shekels um he is uh tried by pontius pilate and um condemned to death some historians believe that pontius pilate was like he can get a small um punishment but the as it is told in the bible it's the and, and Pontius Pilate was the governor of the area. So Jesus is living in, in Judea. 
and where the Jews are. And um, Pontius Pilate uh, was a Jew, was a Jew himself, but he was proclaimed governor by the uh, Roman Empire. So they're under Roman um, authority. Pontius Pilate was like, I don't really care. This this guy did some things. We'll let him off. And the Jews are like, no, Jesus should be killed. And so Pontius Pilate was like, if it's going to shut them up, sure. We'll, we'll hang him on a cross. And so Jesus gets crucified. So he's there. Uh, he gets flogged. And then he's hung on a cross. And that's where he dies. And this was a pretty cruel form of punishment that the romans did it should be noted that like crucifixion crucifixion wasn't something they did regularly though it was because it was so intense and cruel it was only for really to send a message so you had to either do something really really heinous or um they were just upset like there was a time when there was an uprising and so they killed like 500 people put them on this main road so that people passing on this busy road would see them and would be deterred from uh, committing crimes um but in general like crucifixion was not something that was for your everyday criminal you know maybe they would like cut your arm off or something or your hand like they weren't putting you on the on a cross to be crucified um side note anyway so jesus is condemned to die his his followers are quite upset um but he gets um he has to carry the cross down the road he fails so one of his uh, disciples carries it for him he gets put on the cross um, he dies. And so they take him off the cross and they bury him. He is in, in the tomb for three days. Um, and people come and check on the tomb. Um, and on the third day, um, some women come and he's not there. And they're like, did someone steal the body? What is happening? You know, this is, did someone desecrated the tomb? Uh, and then Jesus appears to them and says, do not fear for I have risen from the dead. You know, and they run and tell his disciples. The disciples don't believe them, uh, the women that is. And then Jesus appears to him, to, appears to them, and they're like, "You're not Jesus. Show me your markings." And so Jesus shows the markings on his hand where his hands had been nailed to the cross. He shows them on his feet where he'd been nailed to the cross. And they're like, "This is Jesus." And so uh, Jesus tells them, "You know, I've given you the word. I've given you instructions." Go, go forth and prosper and be great and, you know, be good people based on the teaching that I gave you. I'll be chilling out in heaven with my God. And he disappears. Clearly, I'm paraphrasing a lot. But that is the life of Jesus as we know it. And then he is gone. And that's what we have left. Um, so his followers are kind of left to um, share the message. And, and there's a historian or many historians like – movements were happening a lot like this um because jews often in in jewish um history and i believe we talked about this in, in the jewish episode is that jews things would happen and a prophet would come and tell them to get it together right and so towards roman occupation there was a sense of like we must be doing something wrong this must be the end of the world the messiah is coming so there are lots of people looking out for the messiah or the anointed one to come and lead them to prosperity and, and lead them out of occupation. Um, so there were many figures like Jesus during this time and after. Um, what makes Jesus so interesting is that his followers were like hardcore devout, maybe like the original religious fundamentalists, because they would not let this go despite persecution all kinds of things they wouldn't let it go and that's why we still have christianity today because jesus had some hardcore followers 
So that is kind of why on a certain level, the other Jews didn't particularly care about what was going on because, you know, a lot of people were saying that they, they were, they were the Messiah, but because his followers were so dedicated to his message and sharing his words, we have Christianity today. Is there anything that you want to say? There's some many things I can say, but I want to, I'm sure I've missed a lot of things, but I'm sure if there's anything that you want to say. I'm not in particular. I mean, I, I, I'm sitting here and I never really thought about it, but like your homie gets killed and then he rolls up three days later and you're like, you're not my homie. Like who does that? <laughs> like, well, like really? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I do. I think it was more of, um, I mean, it wouldn't, if you, wouldn't you also be like, you think that you'd seen a ghost? Well, okay. Yes. I, okay. I, I would think that I seen a ghost. You're right. But me and everyone else is having like this collective thing. I don't know. I just never really thought about that till just now. Yeah. I mean, I think I would also be like, uh, this must be an apparition. I don't right. believe it. Show me proof. I think I would have been like them. Um, so I, I, I'm not hating on the, the disciples for being. Didn't they share a meal too after he showed up? That is possible. Can't say that I read the story in the Bible <laughs> <laughs> today. I'm pretty sure they did. Um, but yeah, he does stick around for a little bit and talks to them before he ascends into heaven. Um, but yes. Oh, one fun fact. Yeah. Did you have something? No, go ahead. Um, One fun fact. So um, we'll probably get into this a lot more in detail when we get to Catholicism, which is happening in season two. Um, But one thing that you've probably heard of is called the Shroud of Turin. And this is kind of associated with specifically with um, Jesus and his resurrection. Um, And what it is, is it's a relic which again, we'll get into this with Catholicism more in detail, but um, basically it is believed to be the actual death shroud of Jesus. And it is believed to have sort of the, um, um, like a, like an imprint of Jesus's face and then the wounds of the crucifixion on it. And it's held in true in Italy in a, I, I'm pretty sure it's at a convent or a monastery. Just a fun fact. I will, I will say, um, so most of what I said is, you know, a summary of what you can find in the Gospels. There are th- um, three Roman historians do make reference to Jesus in their writings, including Pliny the Younger, who was writing around 111 AD, Tactus, who wrote around 115, but talking about events in, in the year 64, and then Nero. If you're interested in that, one of the first things that was written about him was that Jesus had been condemned to death by Pontius Pilate during the reign of Roman Emperor Tiberius. Um, and that Pilate was the governor of Judea. And um, because of this, the traditional date for the crucifixion is sometime around the year AD 30 or 33. For Nero, when he writes about it, he talks about these people called the Christians. And I'll get to a second about the name Christians. There's another writer who talks about Christus, who was the founder of a distinct group within Judaism. So again, this initial connection to Judaism. And then there's writings around AD 12 that Christians were a group of people who were worshiping Jesus of Nazareth as if he were a god, abandoning the worship of the Roman emperor to do so. Now, Jesus of Nazareth is because um, although Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he originated in Nazareth. That's where he came from. So that's kind of where, even though, again, he was born in, in Bethlehem, but, you know, grew up and stuff in, in the Nazareth. So that's why he's is known as Jesus of Nazareth. And then the the Christian part. So Christian is actually a name that 
there's a little bit of we don't know i guess is a way of putting it it definitely was an external name so the new testament tells us that christians was first used by outsiders to refer to the followers of jesus and in acts 17 26 it says with chapter 17 verse 26 it was in antioch that the disciples were first called christians and even though this is not a term that the christians themselves came up with they ended up using it themselves and so i don't think that there is like these are the group of people who called them Christians. I don't think there's, we know that. We just know that some group referred to them as Christians and then they kept going with it. And, you know, again, giving the derived of the Christ part of it. Yeah, that's all the history that I have for now. Obviously, when we talk about um, the calendar, we'll get into a little bit more history. And I also want to be uh, intentional that we are leaving a lot. Like, obviously, Christianity does not stop with the death of Jesus and his followers. There is a long long history after that um but i'm intentionally not talking about that because we don't want to get into um specifics of denominations which really come up in that i will say though um that for the um first 200 or so years after jesus's death maybe even a little longer than that there wasn't like some main group of christians in the same way that you know after muhammad dies there are like a select group of muslims right there's not like you are part of the group people are doing a lot of the same things there is no continuity um, with the early Christians. There are people who believe things that other people don't believe. They use texts that others don't use. There's a lot of people just kind of doing their own individual thing. Um, we also see this in the Bible itself, the New Testament, and the letters of the Apostle Paul. Um, he's writing to groups. And he, because in the beginning of Christianity, we're in the Roman Empire, you're not allowed to worship openly it was against the law so people are having to meet in secret they're meeting in their homes which is also why it was like considered a cult at first because it's very secretive but it's secretive for people's safety you know they're connecting through correspondence but you don't you're not necessarily being able to engage openly with other people who identify as christians outside of your immediate community so you kind of like come up with your own traditions and own beliefs and that's what you do and and so it's a while before there's a sense of continuity among all christians a note about paul Paul was a um, Pharisee, which was a like very conservative group of Jews, and he actually condemned Christians in the beginning. Um, but then there was one day Paul was walking to Damascus, and Jesus he has a sighting of Jesus and is kind of told, "What you're doing is wrong. Please stop." So kind of converts on the spot, and then becomes one of the most fervent defenders of Christianity for his life, and one of the most important people. Um, in Christianity, in early Christian, Christianity anyway. It's interesting that he's called the Apostle Paul. He was not one of the original 12, but he's known as the Apostle Paul. And he kind of takes, he really is the first leader of the quote-unquote Christian church and is responsible for many of the texts in the New Testament, which are letters that he's writing to different Christ, French Christian communities, telling them to have faith, giving them instruction on how they should worship. And so a lot of the modern day church is a descendant of paul's works and so that's also a key part of early christianity and now i really will stop with the history <laughs> one more thing on just your note on paul just to tease a little bit our catholic episode paul is really important because he's considered basically like the first pope of sorts um and so every pope and in catholicism every pope and every priest um traces their line it's called apostolic secession um, and they trace their line all the way back to Paul. And so hypothetically speaking, your local parish priest can trace 
the person who, you know, basically anointed them all the way back to Paul. Um, so, but we'll get into that with Catholicism. All right. So now that we've got, you know, sort of this idea of who Jesus was and kind of why he's important, um, historically, let's talk a little bit about what Christians believe. So like we always start with a section, um, Christian or Christianity is a monotheistic tradition. Um, this might seem like kind of a duh statement um, for some folks, I think. Um, again, like we said before, um, Christians believe in the same God, the same Jewish God, or the same God as the Jews and as Muslims, um, but believe that Jesus um, was the son of God and that um, their whole tradition centers around the birth, life, death, and eventual resurrection of Jesus. Um, and so not to get too much into the theology of that, um, but let's jump then jumping to like kind of the textual things, because I think Christianity is one of the sort of quote unquote um, religions of the book. I think it's kind of important to start there. So, um, you know, there are Again, I think we mentioned this back in the Judaism episode, whichever episode that was in season one, that a lot of the texts that you see in Christianity and in Islam as well um, are the same um, in Christianity. And so the real, the, there's a few key texts. I mean, obviously the entire New Testament sets Christians apart um, from, uh, from Jews, but there's really the four key texts that Jay, that you mentioned Um the Gospels, um, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, and these basically, you know, tell the story of Jesus's life um, or what we know of it. And so, within these, I think it's worth pointing out that there are three Gospels called the Synoptic Gospels. Um, so these are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, these are they're called the Synoptic Gospels because they sort of um, it comes from the Greek word meaning to see each other. Um, so these three texts record similar events from similar points of view and then place them sort of in similar orders. So they kind of check each other out. And so they sort of um, kind of like verify each other's stories, more or less. They're not really these stories like I know we've said that they kind of tell the story of Jesus, but they're not necessarily biographical. They're not really meant to be like. And then when Jesus went to first grade, you know, it's more like, you know, these are the things that Jesus did. They're meant, they're called the gospels because they're supposed to sort of spread the good news of Jesus's teachings, the miracles that he performed and things like that. Um, so that's kind of leading to some of the sort of convolutedness and the big holes in um, uh, what we understand um, to be Jesus's life and Jesus's experience, right? He's a baby and then suddenly he's in his thirties which would just be a weird, weird life to live. Um, so um, it's worth noting too that, like Jay said, you know, these were written after um, these events took place. Um, again, relatively soon um, in the greater span of things, you know, 70 or so years. But they were written by folks who learned these things via an oral tradition. So for anyone who tells you that, um, you know, Christianity... And I think I've, we've probably said this in other episodes. I probably have, because this is a personal bone I have to pick. Um, but, you know, anyone who says that Christianity is, you know, more authoritative because it is written, it's not necessarily true. Um, you know, it's not true 
to just say, well, one religion's more authoritative than another, just in general, from an academic perspective. But also the fact that like there is this assumption that it was just written down verbatim, that the apostles were walking around with little like, you know, notebooks writing everything down as it happened. It's, that's not true. Um, they were busy passing out fishes and loaves to a lot of people. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, these things were these things were passed from person to person and then recorded later in the case of the Gospels anyway. Um, now, I now we, yeah, go ahead. I was also going to say it's important to talk about the language mm. as well. Mm -hmm. um, so Jesus himself spoke Aramaic, and um, a lot of the – most of the New Testament is written in Hebrew. There are some sections in Aramaic, which, side note, Aramaic was the official language of um, trade and commerce or diplomacy um, at this time, and yet it's the language we don't have anymore. But anyway, um, so – these texts that Ryan are talking about, they were initially written in Greek. So they're not even being composed mm -hmm. in a language that Jesus wrote or spoke, which I think is really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think that that also helps that piece of like, quote unquote, authoritative, because they were already in their creation works in translation. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of folks for a lot of sort of um, trying to be careful here, evangelical Christians um, there's this tendency to say, well, Jesus said these things. Well, I mean, Jesus didn't say any of those things because he didn't say them in Greek. Um, so he may have said something completely different in Aramaic um, before it was passed down through oral tradition. But I want to say that oral tradition is authoritative. So I'm going to assume that the story is, uh, you know, didn't change over those 70 years. Um, but that's just a, you know, academic position <laughs> and a personal hill that I am willing to die on. Um, so anyway, so um, we've talked about in kind of the, in other episodes. Yeah. Okay. If you haven't listened to the Islam and Judaism episodes at this point, um, please go listen to them <laughs> because we're, I'm going to refer to them a lot. So um, I know we've talked about in previous episodes, how there is this idea of canon with two ends, not three, not like the pirate canon. We're going to get into pirates in the Flying Spaghetti Monster episode next, but we'll get there. <laughs> but canon with two ends, meaning the authoritative um, set of texts that have been kind of selected by a group of people to be authoritative. So the biblical canon or the, uh, the Christian biblical canon wasn't really even established until 367. Um, so before 367, we have this massive collection of books about Jesus and um, written by and about his followers that come much after in the interim, like in the time, you know, after Jesus's life. Um, and so we have all these books floating around and basically the church at the time, which would essentially become the Catholic and Orthodox church later, um, decided they basically would have these councils where they would decide sort of theological matters. And they basically convened a council and said, we're going to figure out the biblical canon. And only 27 books made the cut. And one important thing to note here too, is not only were they deciding, okay, well, this book is good. This book gets a thumbs up, thumbs down on the gospel of um, Judas and thumbs up on, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, for instance. Um, but they were also deciding sort of what order these books were going to go in. And so I know we mentioned previously that the, the importance of Jewish prophecy in sort of understanding who Jesus was and placing Jesus in this, in this Jewish context. Um, so basically the books that we have in what is considered by Christians to be the old Testament 
if you look at those books, the last chunk of books are what are called the prophecies. And they're put in that order. So basically you have from Genesis and the beginning to all the stuff that happens in the in the middle to the prophecies at the end. It's structured in such a way so that it looks like when you get to the end of the Old Testament and you read the last page of the Old Testament and then you flip two pages to get you into the New Testament and it starts telling you about Jesus, it's set up in such a way to make it look like, okay, those chapters, those, those books in the Old Testament were sort of this preface or prologue to tell me a little bit about or to prime me for Jesus coming and being this Messiah or this, uh, yeah, this Jewish Messiah. Um, but anyway, there's lots of other books that were not included and in, didn't make this cut. Um, some like the Acts of Paul, the Acts of Peter. Um, for those of you that are familiar with the Christian Bible, there is first and second Corinthians. There is also a third Corinthians um, that did not make the cut. There's a whole mountain of other gospels um, that didn't make it. Like I mentioned the gospel of Judas, there's the infancy gospel, which is more about Jesus when he's a baby. And like, he had all these miracles happen when he was a baby, according to that gospel. Um, and then there's also this whole other genre of Gnostic gospels, which is this sort of transcendental, uh, form of Christianity that happens before, um, Christianity really becomes a sort of unified tradition, which that's a whole other episode in and of itself. So I'm not even really going to go into that. But if you're curious, Google is your friend. Um, but, you know, to kind of wrap up sort of um, the scriptural or textual um, things that are important for Christianity, um, just kind of a fun fact, since we're in the business of fun facts, apparently in this episode, um, the most widely accepted translation of the Christian Bible today is what's called the New Revised Standard Version. Um, this Bible includes the Protestant books as well as the Catholic and Orthodox books, because there's some extra um, books that Catholics and Orthodox um, Christians include in their Bible, which again, we'll get to that later. Um, and this is also the translation that's preferred by most biblical scholars as well. So if you want to get yourself a Bible and you want to read it as an academic exercise or as a, you know, theological like uh, exercise, you know, the New Revised Standard Version is the most widely accepted version. So um, if you're in the market for that and don't really want to buy a ye olde King James Bible. Which speaking of. Yes. Um, it took seven years to complete the um, mm -hmm. King James translation, more than 50 scholars worked on it. And it was the most widely used translation until the end of World, World, uh, World War One in 1918. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of like, we could do a whole history on a whole episode on the Bible and Christian Bibles um, and kind of the story of how they came to be and like who, you know, all the different political and translational issues. And yeah, it's interesting stuff if you're into that sort of thing. Before I get into more of the belief stuff, you know, I know that I've said it before in this episode. I'm going to say it again. There is an incredible amount of diversity in belief among Christians. Um, there are so many different things that we could go into here and we will be talking for the next like century. Um, so just to give you kind of a taste of some of this diversity. Um, and these are, you know, within the first four centuries of Christianity, there's so much diversity and it whittles itself down a little bit. And then it kind of explodes again later after the Protestant Reformation. Um, but just to give you kind of an idea of some of these historical, some of the historical diversity in Christianity, there were some Christians who were what we would consider polytheistic. 
Um, there's a couple good books on this, which you can put them in the show notes. Um, basically where there is a sort of grumpy Old Testament God and then the loving New Testament God. And those are sort of understood to be two different um, deities. Um, and that there are also this whole host of other um, divinities that are in and around um, what we now consider the Middle East. And like I said, I'll put the put some links in the show notes for the books on that that are kind of interesting. There were also some folks who believe that Jesus was solely divine, meaning that he was fully a, a God, that he did not become a human when he came down to um, earth. Um, and so, and then there's also folks who believe that he was sort of like a demigod, kind of like Hercules. Um, so if you're familiar with Greek mythology or the Disney movie, and so they believe that Jesus was kind of divine and human, um, not just human, which that is a point of contention for some groups today still. And then also, like I mentioned with the book of Matthew, there were in the immediate, um, aftermath of Jesus's life and death, um, groups that would, we would now kind of call messianic jews who were basically still jews but believed that and were practicing jews and still and believed that jesus was the messiah and had come and was the you know the prophesied uh, messiah um so moving on to kind of contemporary um beliefs that are still really important for understanding christianity today um the first thing i want to talk about is the trinity so You've probably heard about this a lot, especially if you're familiar with Catholic folks. This is really popular um, in Catholicism, um, or really important in Catholicism. And basically what this is, is that there is the belief that there is God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. To kind of give you sort of an idea, um, you know, God, this is, this is something that, let me back up for a second. This is something that for a lot of folks, myself and I think Jay as well, is still really confusing. Like it's a very um, sort of complicated theological um, idea and the explanations for sort of how God, God and Jesus being related is pretty straightforward. God's father, Jesus, the son, but then you throw in this Holy spirit thing and it gets all sorts of complicated um, because what is the Holy spirit becomes a big question. And I, I'm going to be honest, like it's kind of, it's really hard to explain. Um, but basically um, this idea of the Holy Spirit, I think, comes about in the book of Acts. Um, correct me if I'm wrong there, Jay, or if you know. Um, but basically, um, it's this, this sort of like divine sort of spark kind of thing. Um, and I think it's often sort of depicted as like a dove in um, religious artwork and iconography. Um, but basically, there's this idea that you have the Trinity. And so you have God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Now, there is a, is and continues to be um, a fair amount of debate among Christians um, within denominations and between about the actual sort of theology of these things. So basically, just to give you kind of the quick and dirty explanation of this is that the argument comes down to whether or not the Trinity is made up of three separate divinities. So you have God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, or if they are three aspects of of the same divinity. Um, and so basically God is no different than Jesus is no different than the Holy spirit. They're all kind of the same and represent themselves in different aspects. Um, there are also, like I mentioned a second ago, there are also some tangential debates re regarding the divinity of Jesus that get wrapped up in these arguments as well. Um, so basically whether or not Jesus is fully partially or not at all divine. And if I start to get into that 
any more specifically, then I've got us down the rabbit hole of different denominations. So I'm going to kind of leave it at that. Um, and so that's basically the gist of the very most, the most basic um, beliefs in Christianity. So if you need to know anything um, about Christianity and Christian belief, it's that basically Jesus was born, lived, died, was resurrected for the forgiveness of sins of all people in the Christian tradition. Now we can move on to a little bit of the practical sort of what is it that Christians do? So again, there is a tremendous amount of diversity here when it comes to practices. Um, each tradition, each denomination has its own specific practices. I mean, we could even probably get down to like the nitty gritty of like vacation Bible school and Protestant traditions and include that here if we really wanted to, but we're not going to because then we'd be in the Protestant episode and we'll get to that later because um, like Martin Luther is pretty, pretty legit. So we're going to talk about him later. <laughs> he deserves an episode in his, in his own right. <laughs> so I'm going to give you basically kind of this overview again of the sort of common practices that are shared between most denominations. Um, and these basically come down to three things. So you have the word, and this is in quotes and a capital W, um, baptism and communion. Um, although, you know, there are lots of different things, like I said, um, these kind of make up the core of Christian worship for most denominations. So starting with the word, um, this kind of just refers to a whole lot of different stuff um, that can include, but doesn't always have to be readings directly from the Bible. Um, this includes things like scriptural readings, but also hymns, prayers, um, sermons, or they're sometimes called homilies in different uh, traditions that are given by clergy members. And basically what this serves to do is kind of, it's, it's, it's to teach people um, about Jesus's life, Christian beliefs, um, interpretations, how to apply traditions that were written about 2000 years ago to your life in 2021, for instance. Um, and so this is kind of your everyday, you know, this is, this can be what you do when you go to worship service um, on Sunday morning, or this can be what you go to on Wednesday night. And again, these are getting into lots of different you know, denominational differences about when you actually do this. Um, but it can be a collective exercise, but it can also be a sort of um, personal kind of, you know, you do it on your own time sort of thing. Like I know some folks have the um, Bible in a year Bible, basically, and you read a chunk of the Bible every day. And by the end of the year, you've read the whole thing. And that would be considered a practice under this um, within the category of the word. Um, next, we have baptism. Um, this is basically the primary means through which someone becomes incorporated into the Christian community or what's collectively referred to as the body of Christ. Um, this is meant to be a very public recognition of your belief and commitment to Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Um, typically what happens during this is, um, well, there's a lot of variation. Um, so before I, before I say that, um, you know, you can also be baptized in recognition of the whole Trinity. Um, so that varies by tradition. Uh, but this is always a celebratory occasion. This is not a very solemn thing. This is a very exciting, like someone is accepting Jesus into their life and um, becoming a part of the community. Now, I know shocking. There's a lot of variation here in how this is practiced. Um, 
some things that are uh, kind of common across the board are that it always includes water in some way. Now, this varies tremendously. It can be a full dunking. So practically what happens is some, um, someone is basically dunked underwater into some sort of body of water. Um, it can be practically anything. It can be, um, you know, a baptismal, which is um, in Protestant churches is usually like kind of like a small pool, basically, um, sometimes at the front of the church um, that people go in and are baptized in. Um, there's also, you can be baptized in sort of natural bodies of water, lakes, rivers, the ocean, um, things like that. Um, it, it can also just be a sprinkle of water onto someone or pouring water over someone. Um, I don't want to get into too many specifics with this because we're going to get into that as we get into denominations, which I'm sure you're probably tired of me saying at this time. Um, so um, one thing to, to note is that it can be performed at different ages. Um, this is this is a primary point of contention for a lot of denominations, particularly Protestants and Catholics. Um, that can be performed anywhere from infancy up onto and through adulthood. Um, a lot of the difference here is based on what um, some communities believe about sort of your agency as um, a person. Um, so basically, the argument is that by Protestants is that as an infant, you can't um, really know the consequences of being baptized. You can't fully recognize what's happening. And so um, it should be something that you wait to do until you're older. Um, now that varies a lot. Some Christian traditions are like, you should wait until you're like, um, basically an adult, like a teenager. Others are like, well, if you're like a 10 year old and you've got to figure it out, then rock on. Um, and so again, that just varies a lot. Um, so lastly, the sort of last kind of practice that I want to cover um, is communion. So this is in contrast to baptism, this is a sort of solemn practice that is meant to be a recognition of Jesus's sacrifice through his death on the cross and his resurrection. Um, what happens here is that there is a sharing of some kind of bread and wine or grape juice among Christians. Again, there's a lot of variation there. The use of grape juice is a consequence of the teetotaler movement in the early 20th century, um, which has connections to Kansas. Um, <laughs> and we love a Kansas connection. That's right. That's right. Um, Carrie Nation, if you've ever heard of Carrie Nation, she was the lady who famously went into bars and took a hatchet and uh, took her hatchet to all of the alcohol. Um, and she was like a leading figure in the teetotalers movement. But anyway, um, so. Basically, um, this is something that happens, again, a, lots of variation here, but typically happens um, at every um, worship service, every Christian worship service, and um, they will either share, Christians will either share a piece of bread, like an actual, like what we would see as like what most folks would recognize as a loaf of bread, right? Or, you know, sometimes it's like a wafer, sometimes a, like a, a cracker type um, thing where it's like an unleavened bread, which this is drawing back on Jewish connections to things, which is a whole nother story in and of itself. Um, but um, the important thing here is that it's a recreation of the Last Supper. So this is the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before um, being put on trial and then executed by um, by the Romans and by, well, kind of by the Romans in um, Jerusalem. Um, and so there's a lot of variation in kind of what 
Christians believe actually happens during this ritual. So some believe that the bread and the wine are actually transformed into the body and blood of Christ. Um, so this is a key tenet in um, Catholicism, for instance, um, through a process called transubstantiation, which basically what happens is the priest prays over the wafers and the wine, and they are believed to be ritually changed into the physical body and blood of Jesus. And so this is where this question of like, are, are Christians cannibals? Well, depends on how you where you stand on transubstantiation, I guess. Others view this as purely symbolic. Um, and so they don't, believe that they are actually eating the body and blood of Jesus, but rather actually drinking grape juice and eating a cracker. But it's still meant to be sort of this call back to the Last Supper and to recognize Jesus' sacrifice. And again, you know, this can, this varies a lot in Catholicism. There's, you know, you actually go up to the front of the church to do this. In most Protestant traditions, they pass a plate around the whole church and you don't really have to get up. Because Protestants are not about exercising in church. Catholics are. They're up and down and kneeling and like sitting and getting up and walking around. And yeah. <laughs> but again, that's kind of a whole nother thing. Um, but that's kind of basically the gist. So if you were to have to know about, if you were to go and attend a Christian um, worship service, um, that would kind of be, you could expect to see these things or, um, you know, sort of, uh, you'd expect to see these practices um, in one form or another. Um, throughout the service. Um, but that's that's all I've really got for beliefs because I, you know, we talked and it's like, I don't want to really get into too much. If we do, we'll get in the weeds. But you wanted to talk about the calendar. Surprisingly, I forgot to come up with calendar things. Yeah, because I think that it does put into some context and um, helps people who are not familiar with um, Christianity to kind of understand what's going on. Um, and I think it helps with some misconceptions. There's a misconception that, you know, because so much emphasis is placed on Christmas, mm -hmm. that it's the most important holiday in the Christian calendar. And it actually, it isn't. Right. Um, so, yeah, so let's get into it. So the Christian calendar, ironically, actually starts um, in the season of or Advent which is the period immediately before Christmas. Um, and so in some aspects, you can think of the calendar. It does, on a certain level, start around the time of Jesus's birth and then kind of moves through his life. Um, so you're starting in the early winter, I guess it would be the time, late fall, early winter. Mm -hmm. um, but essentially Advent is, um, it's the time in which Christians recall the background to the coming of Jesus. Advent is intended to mark the focus on the relationship of the two Advents, or comings of Jesus, Advent meaning coming. So there's his first coming, which is literally his birth, um, and in which time he was filled with humility, and we're supposed to reflect on that. And then there's a second coming, um, which will be later on, um, when he returns, uh, which would be coming in glory and judgment, um, which take place at the end of time. So it's a time to focus on both the literal coming of Jesus, which is past, and the future coming of Jesus. Um, most popularly, this is celebrated through Advent calendars, in which people will get a calendar, um, and you open one every day, a little thing every day, and you get a toy or candy or something. Um, now they're really popular with like their alcohol ones or cheese ones. This is the countdown to Christmas. Um, that's what this is all being represented by. The next big date in the calendar is Christmas. Um, so Christmas is on December 25th, although some Orthodox Christians um, have it as 
January 7th. And again, this is due to the introduction of the Gregorian calendar, um, which replaced the Julian calendar. There's a difference of 10 days, and that's where we get the kind of change in the two. So Christmas, it is the time in which Jesus was um, celebrated at his birth. There's a lot of popular culture things. So, you know, Santa Claus, the exchanging of gifts, none of that is really related to Jesus's birth. The gift part kind of comes from um, when Jesus was born, wise men, or also known as magi, came and presented gifts. And so the gift exchange kind of, that's the origins of that. But all this other stuff, the Christmas trees, Santa Claus, none of that is related to Christianity. Christmas and the birth of, of Christ. Rather, it is over time, different people have created traditions, and then, you know, we've got all these things. But the basic kind of foundational celebration, often there will be services that happen on that day, either on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Um, often the reading of the story of Jesus's birth is read um, during that time, and people spend time together. And, and pray like that's kind of the most basic way of celebrating Christmas uh, minus the kind of um, commercialized exchanging of gifts and things like that. Next, we have Epiphany, which is not celebrated in all denominations, but still part of the calendar. We were actually talking about this earlier and um, it, it does mark a season. So even if your denomination doesn't explicitly celebrate Epiphany, they likely are the minister or is likely aware of it. But this festival is understood to mark the beginning of the long process by which the identity and significance of Jesus was made known to the world, right? So after he is um, basically Jesus's life, right? Over the course of his life, he has slowly made his identity of being um, God incarnate in a man is made known to people. And so that's kind of what this um, festival is celebrating. After that, we have Lent, which starts on Ash Wednesday, which will fall the seventh week before Easter. Before I talk about Lent, I will say that the day before Lent is very popular as Mardi Gras or Fat Tuesday. And so a lot of people before Lent, before fasting, they will go out in a big hurrah. And so that's what that uh, festival is about, like doing all the bad things before you go spend 40 days doing good things. Yeah. And it's, it's meant to, it's, it marks the end of carnival carnival season. Mm-hmm. So, so like that, you know, fat Tuesday is like really popular in the United States, but if you go around the world, like central and South America, carnival is kind of a big yeah. deal. Um, and that comes right up until Lent. So you, you get crunk for like a month and then yeah. chill out. <laughs> and this is definitely more important in um, Catholic and Orthodox mm-hmm. communities versus Protestant ones. Um, but, um, Protestant people are definitely still aware of it. Um, so Lent is supposed to be a period of repentance. It marks the time when Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the desert being tempted by the devil. And so uh, Christians kind of reenact that to some degree. Basically, since I think the like fourth century, people have been fasting. But initially, the fast was much shorter. So people fasted for like three days. And as time progressed, oh. yeah, like two or three days, you would fast for two or three that. days. And then, and I think it was a full fast where you didn't eat anything, um, gotcha. just like had water and then you would, you know, be done with it. But now that has transformed into not a fast, so to speak, but um, abstaining from something. 
And that is even, I know in like medieval times, um, people would fast from, they were, or abstain from meat and dairy products. So they essentially went vegan for the time. Um, and then now we're today where people just often pick one or two things to abstain from during the 40 days. It is important to note that if you look, so if you look at Ash Wednesday and count up the days until Easter, that's actually 46 days and not 40. So a lot of people are like, well, if they're 46 days, why are you only talking about 40? That's because traditionally, because Sunday is seen as such an important day, um, you're not supposed to fast on Sunday. So it's 40 days and then every Sunday you don't have to do whatever it is that you were abstaining from. But a lot of people don't know that, so they actually end up doing it for the full 46 days. Um, fun fact. So then after that, we have um, Easter. So Easter is the day, or actually, let me back up. Not Easter. It is Holy Week, which then culminates with Easter. So Holy Week, um, and this is the final week of Lent, by the way. So Holy Week is, is a part of Lent. Um, this is the this rem- is remembering the last week of Jesus's life before he gets crucified. And so it begins with Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday right before Easter. And this is um, a time to kind of set aside and reflect on the upcoming suffering and death of Jesus that will occur. It's called Palm Sunday because um, on this day, Jesus, I believe, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and palms were laid on the ground in front of him. And so that's where the name comes from. And today, um, mostly in Catholic communities and Orthodox communities, people will get crosses that have been woven from palms and they're used in the service. And then they'll be kept, um, which, oh, I didn't say this, on um, as part of Lent. Reason why it's called Ash Wednesday is because you get ashes, mostly in Catholic communities, they get the ashes. Um, and so you'll get a, a cross uh, put on top of your head um, made from ashes. And the, the priests in your local parish will do that for you. So Catholics will go to church on Wednesday and, you know, have a little service. And then at the end, you, you get your ashes. So on Palm Sunday, after you have used these palms and they've been used in the service, those are kept until the following year where they are burned. And so the ashes that you receive this year are the palms that were used the previous year. I believe it's mostly in Europe, in the UK. They have uh, Monday Thursday. Monday Thursday? Yes. One of the last things Jesus did in his life was wash the feet of his disciples. And so in this... I believe you go and you have your feet washed um, by your local priest or clergy member. And there's like a service around that. And then we have uh, Good Friday. So this is supposed to be the, which is funny that it's called Good Friday because it's actually not a good thing per se, but I guess (laughs) good because of what's going to happen later on. But it's good. It's called Good Friday because this is the day that Jesus actually dies on the cross. This is a time when people often read the, it's called the passion narrative, um, but that is actually the story of Jesus being crucified on the cross. So that story is often read in services. I mean, people just kind of reflect on that and have a temporary mourning at the loss of Jesus's life. 
only to get excited because two days later on Sunday, we have Easter when Jesus arises um, from the dead. And so people are really, really excited about that. That's a day of joyful celebration. You know, Jesus has died. And part of it is Jesus died for sins of humans and for their salvation. And so because he died, you get to go to heaven. So people are very joyous about that. And Easter is actually the most important day and holiday in the Christian calendar for this reason. Again, there are a lot of secular aspects of Easter. So the Easter bunny, none of that is related, but it's fun. So people do it. Uh, but that has nothing to do with the actual Christian um, original celebrations of Easter. Um, next, we have the uh, Pentecost, sorry, the Ascension. It always falls on a Thursday, so Thursday after Easter. And it is conceived as the kind of following the the ending of the events of Easter. So uh, if we if we go back and think about it, Jesus rises from the dead. You know, he sees the women. Mary Magdalene is one of them and, you know, chats with the women. He goes and sees his disciples, hangs out for a little bit, and then finally goes back to heaven. So this is recognizing that. So after the ascension kind of marks the end of people seeing Jesus after his death in person, then he's in heaven. The Pentecost, which I, maybe you can talk about the Pentecost a little bit. So this is when, remember when I was talking earlier about the Holy Spirit and how I was like, it's connected back to the book of Acts. Yes. So this is talking about, so the the apostles had kind of gathered after Jesus's life and other people, um, other followers of Jesus. And they're basically worshiping and the Holy Spirit kind of descends down upon them. And so this is the verse with the tongues of fire. Um, And so this is where basically it it varies in the interpretation, but some folks believe that there were actual little like flames that like appeared above people. This is the verse that sort of gets interpreted and um, gives rise to glossolalia, which is fancy academic speak for um, speaking in tongues. And so that's a practice in in some Protestant traditions, also some Catholic traditions as well. So basically, this is just a celebration of the arrival of the Holy Spirit on um, on Jesus's followers. And it is celebrated on the 15th Sunday after Easter. I guess the last event is the Trinity, which is uh, it's Trinity Sunday. And this is just a day to celebrate the distinctly Christian doctrine of the Trinity, in which... God is revealed as a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which Ryan talked about earlier. There are various kind of interpretations of what that means, but that's a day to celebrate it. And that's the Christian calendar. Again, the most important and probably most celebrated uh, across the board are going to be Christmas and Easter. And then depending on your denomination, that will dictate the importance of the other holidays. But I think it's important to mention because that does create the calendar. And so the ways in which Christian community, even if your community doesn't necessarily celebrate some of those holidays, the way that you move is dictated by that calendar. So that's a Christian calendar. Cool. And that's Christianity. So did you want to, we got a, we got a message. Yes. Um, so we got a message. Out? Yes. I do want to say again, we asked people to email us, tweet us. And yet Please. this came, um, <laughs> no one did that. Our message oh, uh, was, Someone DM'd me on my personal um, Instagram, which I totally is totally fine. I'm not against that. I was super excited and very happy to receive the message. Um, so I guess if you find us any way that you want to reach out to us, we will continue <laughs> to give our email and Twitter handle. But like, however you want to reach us is cool. Um, so this person says, hi, Jay, my name is Antitua. I'm from South Africa and I just finished listening to your podcast. 
I can't wait for the next season. You guys really helped me understand religion in a completely new perspective. Thank you very much. That means a lot. This is me saying that the message continues, but I just want to highlight that. Um, I just wanted to ask if you could please have an episode that focuses solely on women in these religions and what their roles are. And please do an episode about African religions like the Yoruba faith and the Egyptian Kemetic practice. You guys are doing a great job with the podcast and more people need to listen to it. I agree. I mean, fully endorse cosine 100%. Yes. I mean, are we doing a great job? I don't know. I think <laughs> you tell us. So I are subjective. So I, I'm glad that um, I appreciate that. Uh, but I also, I think more people should be listening to our podcast, not because we're making it, but mostly because of the mission of it, which is to promote religious literacy, because the more that we know about each other, um, the less issues that we'll have in the world, I firmly believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, to but, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. You... I, and to and to her, um, you know, um, to and to Tua's uh, suggestions. Um, we have those episodes similar to that. We definitely have um African traditional religions slated. Um, we also have an African diasporic religion slated for this um this uh, season. But I don't want to tease it too much. Um, yes. But women in religion and these sort of general topics um of things like sexuality and religion. Um, those are also things that we have in our massive list of potential podcasts that we're moving around all the time to different seasons. So we, we're going to move some of those up so that we can get to them quicker. Yes. And then in terms of Egyptian um, comedic, that um, I think we have to, re- like, yeah, yes, I, I want to say that we can do that. That's going to take a little bit of um time to study um for those that don't know that is the religion of ancient egypt yeah and so and i think the difficulty with that one um is going to be kind of a similar difficulty to um some of the more sort of uh, revivalist and recreationist neo-pagan new age faiths um because there is this sort of resurging movement of comedic um sort of practice today um outside of egypt which is kind of a interesting phenomena in and of itself so that would be so that yeah we'd have to kind of think about how we want to approach that but yeah yeah um so definitely not in season two that depending on how the research goes maybe season three or four um yeah thank you very much one for listening totally appreciate that uh two for uh reaching out that was excuse me uh, reaching out that was great and then three um for your suggestions um and so like into Tua, you too can reach out to us uh i'm not going to say my personal handle but i'm sure if you googled me you could probably find it um but <laughs> for those who want to reach out directly to the podcast you can uh find us um on twitter our religious lit pod on facebook at facebook.com slash religiously literate and our email is religious lit podcast at gmail.com um also you know if you like what we're doing here leave us a review uh that helps other people find us we don't have any reviews we did have one i don't think so no i don't think so either uh when we get a review we will read it because (laughs) it'll be our first yeah um so that will be great uh but you know feel free to check us out say hello let us know what you think um if you think the episode was bad uh, let us know um, if you have suggestions. Let us know. We are open to all the things. So please, please reach out and be sure to listen to us on all the things. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We are likely there to all your friends. Help them get religiously literate. Do you have anything else to share, Ryan? 
Not a word. That was the best send off I think we've ever recorded, Jay. Cool. Well, look out for this episode when it comes out and check out the show notes. Um, we've got some really cool stuff there in terms of the um, timelines that can really help. Um, but if you want to know the specific references, like where can I learn about this thing or that thing um, that happened in Jesus's life, those are great for that. I will also list um, our sources. So yeah, check those out and enjoy the rest of your day.